Hello and welcome to another episode of Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. I'm the titular Sean. And I'm the very titular Carrie. It's the show that takes you inside the unbelievable, the unexplainable, the macabre, and the bizarre and tries to find an answer. Hello, Caroline. Hi. What are we getting into this week? Uh, First of all, listeners, we should tell you this episode's being brought to you by Static Era Records, uh, our friends in downtown Milford, who you'll hear more about in the ad break. Um, But the reason that Jay Reason came on board with this episode (laughs) is uh, it's another music-focused episode. The last time we worked with Static Era was on our Elvis is Dead episode, and um, we have another much... (laughs) Much exaggerated uh, report of celebrity death. I think there's more to this one, though, interestingly enough. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Even though there's no actual death to talk about. So you're just coming, you're coming into this completely against it. Yes, I, yes, I don't think that Paul McCartney died <laughs> in 1968. <laughs> no spoilers. Okay, Caroline, tell the listener what we'll be discussing on today's episode of Ain't It Scary? This topic is actually very uh, special to me. It's one of my favorite conspiracy theories. But to begin here, we're going to have to get back, way, way back. (laughs) Sean, if you asked me when I was five years old what my favorite movie was, I would have probably quickly responded, Help, which is the Beatles' second film released in 1965. Maybe maybe Beauty and the Beast or Cry Baby if I was feeling fickle at the time. Probably still a top five film for you. Oh, Help. yeah. It's definitely a comfort movie. It makes me smile every time. My copy of Help uh, at the time, which was taped off of TV and containing all the requisite early 90s commercials, was so well-worn that I probably learned just about every line in the movie. And I could probably quote it even better than I could... Maybe Shaun of the Dead. <laughs> I don't know. I think I've seen Sh- it more times. Shaun of the Dead, you can do the whole script, basically. I know, but I think I can do help, too, and the songs. <laughs> My dad, a huge Beatles fan, had taped the film at some point, and I don't know what made him decide to show it to me. Again, one of my favorite movies was John Waters' Cry Baby, so my parents had a weird sense of what a child would enjoy. Well, they clearly wanted to form your sexual identity very early. Well, I'll get into that in a minute. Uh, But yeah, I immediately latched onto this movie. Um, I'm not sure what exactly made me love it so much, because I, I much preferred it to the Beatles' more critically acclaimed debut, A Hard Day's Night. Even though I wasn't exactly understanding that kind of James Bond parody pastiche thing they were doing at the time. Mm -hmm. It's pretty loose anyway. (laughs) But something about Help just stuck with me. I adored all the songs. I thought it was just so funny. And of course, it heavily featured the man I thought I would marry at the time. Young Beatle Paul McCartney. Of course. Dreamy, droopy-eyed Paul. Mm -hmm. Yes, toddler Caroline was absolutely in love with the cute beetle. I loved his sleepy eyes and his sweet smile, and I thought he had the best singing voice of the lot, and I still do. Um, He was my pure, non-sexual child's interpretation of the perfect man. When I found out later that the film had been made 30 years before, and uh, now it's going on 60 years since it was released, so kill me. and that the cute, young, left-handed bassist had now become, in comparison, an old man, it completely blew my mind. 
cute left-handed bassist, huh? Yeah, we'll get there too. It was the first time that I truly understood the concept of aging and the power of film to preserve a moment in time. Before then, I'd only really been in the world itself for a few years, and I hadn't experienced seeing those around me grow old. They were either already old and still were old, or they weren't. But MACA maturing was what made me understand, uh, like, the concept of mortality, not including death, just getting older. Uh, It was a big thing for me, and I still remember that revelation to this day. A real icon for nice things don't last forever. Kind of, yeah. All things must pass, if you will. (laughs) If you will. I never did stop loving Paul. I loved his writing, preferring his sometimes, I would say, saturn style to the sometimes brutal or bizarre lyrics of John Lennon. Yeah, John Lennon called (laughs) Paul's music grandma shit. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm a grandma, baby. I also preferred his lighter, smoother voice to John's more nasal tones. He's more of a storyteller, too, with his songs than mm-hmm. John is. John's and especially, I love a story. We know that. Especially late John songs are like very avant-garde yes. and artsy and weird. Mm-hmm. It's generally always been cooler to like John Lennon more, or in recent years, I found it's the cool thing to prefer George of the lot. But I never stopped being a Paul girl. Clearly, because later on I ended up marrying a certain cute, left-handed bassist with sleepy eyes and a sweet smile. Some things are just ingrained in you, I guess. Although I think, I don't think, I don't know. If I was one of the Beatles, I don't know if I'm a Paul McCartney. Who would you be? You're not not the quiet one. You're not, you're probably not the asshole. You're not Ringo, you're Paul. But John's also like the impish... Yeah, but he's not cute. And you're a bassist. Yeah, I mean, yeah, those are superficial things. (laughs) Well, (laughs) anything to a child is superficial. (laughs) I can't be a George because he's just, you know, an Eeyore. He's definitely an Eeyore. And Ringo was, you know, he was Ringo. Everyone liked him, so maybe you are a Ringo, but you would have to be a Ringo that's also like writing the songs and everything. I'd like to be (laughs) under the sea. Uh, we might as well mention here that we watched that whole eight-hour get-back thing. Oh, are getting you, there. you're getting there. <laughs> My enduring love of Paul was why learning about the Paul is Dead conspiracy threw me for a huge loop, one that almost rocked my mind as hard as the concept of aging did. It was early on in my deep internet research days, probably like early high school, when I started researching all the weird mysteries and strange stuff that makes me, you know, me. <laughs> I'd never heard of Paul is Dead until this point, and I will admit, it freaked me out while I did. Uh, did you did you latch onto it? Were you like, maybe? I was definitely titillated by it. It was very, It was like creepy and weird, but interesting. And over Thanksgiving, Disney Plus finally released the long-discussed Get Back, which is Peter Jackson's re-edit of the 1969 video recordings of the Beatles' Let It Be album sessions. Uh, And we watched it. We watched the whole thing already. Um, It it was great to see the first... I I believe these were the first sessions that included the um, live-action double of Paul McCartney (laughs) after his untimely death. So that was exciting to see. Well, I think we were both very moved by the experience of watching this very immersive documentary. Um, yeah, I yes, 100%. 
it, it was amazing. It made me emotional uh, many times. It made me very happy to watch. Um, it's made by Peter Jackson, and it's clear <laughs> that he's a really, really big fan of the Beatles. So, mm-hmm. like, it's not made like somebody wanted to make um, a movie or even three movies. It's just, like, uh, immersively kind of sitting with the Beatles mm-hmm. over the course of a month yeah. uh, in a way that would definitely feel slow if you're not a fan of... Uh, the band, but who's not a fan of the Beatles, man? Yeah, uh, I actively cried a few times. Um, it was like watching two people, once deeply in love, Lennon and McCartney, fall apart, but still find sparks here and there of what made them soulmates in the first place, platonically, creatively. Um, it's it's in turn sad and moving and kind of amazing to watch them just sort of mess around and be kids too because they were so young and I never had thought of them as younger than me because I grew up with watching them but yeah. now I'm older than all of they them were I think when the band broke up which is surreal and the two of them really don't fight at any point in the documentary either not That's, very badly no the, I think the, the only argument I can think of that happens is between Paul and George yeah, there is a point where I think John's doing some stuff off camera and he doesn't show up and everything that really affects Paul. But yeah, they're not really doing much on camera. They just have, it's very clear that both of them have other shit going on, especially John has other shit going on <laughs> that's not the Beatles. And maybe the Beatles and, and Paul isn't like top priority Oh, definitely anymore. not, yeah. So this experience is what got me thinking about this old conspiracy theory once more. Oh, that's right. Yeah, sorry. I meant maybe the Beatles and uh, Paul's live-action double aren't, you know, the top priority anymore. This week, for Beatles fans and non-Beatles fans alike, but if you're a non-Beatles fan, like, are you okay? Like, what are you doing? Um, we're going to be, in honor of Get Back's premiere, diving into the conspiracy theory known as Paul is Dead. The idea that the real Paul McCartney, the one that played with, the one that played in Hamburg with the Beatles, had written dozens of classic songs with John Lennon, and had smiled at me from the movie screen in Help, died tragically in late 1966 and was secretly replaced by a look and sound alike through the end of the band's career, and is still masquerading as the real Paul to this day. Oh, so I'm sure we'll get into it, but that means the double at least also appears in Magical Mystery Tour. <laughs> yes, and uh, yeah, we do get into that. Now, this may sound insane, but as someone who is a bit obsessed with rock and roll history, especially from the 50s and 60s, it's really fascinating, no matter what you believe. And I think it will be for non-fans, too. Um, so for this episode, we're going to use a variety of references that I will call out, uh, either throughout or at the end. But overall, I'm also going to be referencing the book, The Walrus Was Paul, by R. Gary Patterson. God, that's been haunting our living room for uh, months now. Yeah, well, I just, I needed the time to get into this because there's a lot of clips and I've listened to so much backwards music the last few days. Uh, You looked at me with something approaching despair today. (laughs) Uh, And as we mentioned before, this episode is also sponsored by one of our favorite local record stores, Static Era Records. You can check them out in Milford, Connecticut. And at staticerarecords.com and let them know that Ain't It Scary sent you. 
So let me take you down to strawberry fields where nothing is real, and let's investigate the great beetle death hoax. Emphasis on nothing is real. Okay, let's go. In the prologue to this conspiracy, we have a rumor from early 1967 which claimed that Paul McCartney had died in a traffic accident along the M1 motorway on January 7th. In the February issue of the Beatles monthly book, the official Beatles fan club magazine, a rebuttal to the rumor was printed, quote, stories about the Beatles are always flying around Fleet Street. The 7th of January was very icy with dangerous conditions on the M1 motorway, linking London with the Midlands. And toward the end of the day, a rumor spread, a rumor swept London that Paul McCartney had been killed in a car crash on the M1. But of course, there was absolutely no truth in it at all, as the Beatles press officer found out when he telephoned Paul's St. John's Wood home and was answered by Paul himself. He had been home all day with his black Mini Cooper safely locked up in the garage. Oh, that's interesting. I I always would have thought that this thing kind of ballooned out of um, retrospect. Like, oh, at this point, I bet Paul died, Um, (laughs) as opposed to... There was an icy morning when a rumor started that Paul McCartney died, and then this it is the first McCartney death rumor. But the next one, <laughs> and the main one, the Paul is dead conspiracy, um, is a little different. Oh, and so they're it not supposedly happened earlier in November 1966. So that is all retrospect. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now Paul had been in an accident on his motorbike sometime around this point, which we'll discuss later. Uh, but with McCartney's rebuttal, the rumor kind of just became a blip on the radar. Was that the the rumors of my death have been greatly exaggerated? No, I think he said that later. <laughs> when again, he had death rumors. The real thing, uh, the Paul is Dead conspiracy began on September 17th, 1969 in a school newspaper of all places. In an ever In an article titled, Is Beatle Paul McCartney Dead? In the Drake Times Delphic, student Tim Harper first put forth the fourth... It's a one-word article either way. And like, imagine opening and being like, what? You know, there's no internet. You can't check on these things. Um, Tim Harper first put forth the theory that Paul McCartney had died and was secretly replaced by an imposter, possibly his brother, Michael. Harper began the article by saying, Lately on campus, there has been much conjecturing on the present state of Beatle Paul McCartney. So according to him, he wasn't the first to come up with this conspiracy, but who knows? We we don't have any other sources for the beginning of it. Okay. Unlike the original death rumor from 1967, Harper's theory also included the juicy tidbit that the remaining Beatles had been placing clues about the truth in their music for diehard fans to discover. Among his initial clues were points about the cover of the album Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, supposed clues in songs like I Am the Walrus and Revolution Number no. 9 and more. And these were things that Apart from any rumors of anyone's death, fans were already picking apart and trying to find some kind of deeper meaning in that (sighs) almost always wasn't there, right? Yeah. 
With the inclusion of these supposed clues, this theory became like an ARG for anyone who owned a Beatles album. They could play the songs themselves and see what they could interpret or examine the album covers for clues. I mean, everyone loves a good mystery, right? This is like Hunt a Killer before that even began. It's great. It's really what art is supposed to do, you know, whether there's an actual message in there or not. Mm-hmm. I'll go into the clues in our uh, later part of this episode, but first we'll talk about how this story snowballed from the somewhat obscure Midwestern college newspaper. Late the same month, the Beatles released their album, Abbey Road, which would be the last recorded by the band, but thanks to the shift in the date of releasing Let It Be, it was not the last released. And for more on that, watch Peter Jackson's (laughs) Get Back for eight hours on Disney+. Plus. On October 10th and 11th of 1969, papers from New Jersey and California reported on the rumor, relaying an official statement from Beatles spokesman Derek Taylor, quote, Recently, we've been getting a flood of inquiries asking about reports that Paul is dead. We've been getting questions like that for years, of course. Weird. (laughs) Okay. But in the past few weeks, we've been getting them at the office and home night and day. They also relayed a official statement from McCartney himself. I am alive and well. <laughs> As short and to the point. Peace and love. Now, he was uncharacteristically out of the media at this point um, for these couple months, which didn't help when this rumor was spreading. It's not quite certain how it happened, but somehow between mid-September and early October, the rumor of McCartney's death and the subsequent cover-up had spread from this random college newspaper back to the Beatles themselves. And all of this happened without the internet. (laughs) Yeah. It's like two weeks. But the internet's a double-edged sword, too, because it allows people to more quickly research stuff. Mm -hmm. And so there would probably also be a strong current of voices wherever you found the paul is dead rumor you would find comments underneath going this is fucking dumb maybe everything really exploded however on october 12th 1969 on this date a caller named tom phoned into detroit radio station wknr fm and told disc jockey russ gibb about the rumor and all the clues he had gathered both from the original harper article and by himself from pouring over the albums. Tom explained what happened himself in the acknowledgments section of The Walrus Was Paul. Quote, I first heard the rumors about the clues from friends on a college campus in Ypsilanti, Michigan. So many of the clues I put together myself. I spent two hours live on the WKNR call-in line reciting the clues. Then I visited the station about an hour later with two friends along for the fun. By then, McCartney himself had already called WKNR from Scotland in quite a state of rage, I hear, trying to put a stop to the story. So Gibb and the other callers discussed the conspiracy for another hour, and they ended up assembling even more clues. Two days... If if Paul McCartney's calling the radio station, why don't you just put him on the air? Uh, Maybe he didn't want to be. Well, then you're shooting yourself in the foot, Paul. Well, yeah. Uh, The Michigan Daily published a satirical review of the recent release Abbey Road two days later, uh, written by University of Michigan student Fred Labor, who had heard the Ruskib radio program. The review was titled, McCartney Dead, New Evidence Brought to Light. (laughs) And that must have been traumatizing to anyone reading it for the first time without 
knowing the rumors and being like a Beatles fan. That was an Abbey Road <laughs> album review, and yes. he meant it as a satire. I think so. Labor's review. I don't know. Uh, his review identified further clues from the Beatles album covers, including the now iconic Abbey Road photograph of the band crossing the street in front of the studio. Because of its contents, the review was reprinted extensively, first in Detroit, then it spread to Chicago, and then it was on both coasts by the weekend. Wait, from a college paper? Mm-hmm. That's so funny. Yeah. Uh, WKNR aired a two-hour special, The Beatle Plot, on October 19th, <laughs> and WABC in New York City picked it up right after. WABC DJ Robbie Young discussed the rumor on air in the early morning hours of October 21st, and this is kind of something that really only applies to the olden days, so to speak, but... By a quirk of radio, at that particular time of night, the WABC signal was able to extend to a huge listening area, including as many as 38 states in the U.S. and even some other countries, which I assume is more like you know Canada or something. Because of this, the rumor spread insanely quickly in all directions from those who had been listening to WABC that night. It probably helped that it was October, so the spooky story was fun for rock DJs to discuss on air for Halloween season. WMCA Radio, also in New York, literally dispatched radio host Alex Bennett to the Beatles Apple Corps headquarters in London on October 23rd. Now I'll report her on the scene. <laughs> what are you seeing there at the empty building, Alan? <laughs> he, he actually got a statement from Beatle Ringo Starr. Quote, Peace and love. If people are going to believe it, they're going to believe it. I can only say it's not true. Thanks, Ringo. I want to go on the roof. <laughs> Lennon told original, an original radio station WKNR that the rumor was insane, but good publicity for the new album. On Halloween 1969, WKBW in Buffalo, New York, broadcast Paul McCartney is alive and well. Maybe. <laughs> analyzing the clues to the theory and concluding that the Paul is dead conspiracy was actually originally fabricated by John Lennon. Now, Paul was out of the band as of spring 1969? Secretly, not officially. But yeah, pretty much. In just October, again within a month of the theory first hitting an obscure student newspaper... Several one-off music singles came out to capitalize on the hysteria. One was called So Long, Paul, released by a Worbly Finster, which was a pseudonym for Mr. Feliz Navidad himself, Jose Feliciano. <gasps> I want to wish you a Merry Christmas. <laughs> Here's a clip of that. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's a pretty catchy little ditty, though. Da, da, da. Yeah, it's, not, it's bad. not bad. I'm not mad at So Long, Paul. Well, a less good one was We're All Paul Bearers, Paul as in Paul, 
parts one and two by Zacharias and his tree people. Oh, you say that, Carrie, but I want you to listen into the chorus here. It slaps a little bit. Here comes the chorus. Ooh. It's more your type of music than mine. What, fun? Mm, trippy. <laughs> Two more were The Ballad of Paul by The Mystery Tour and Brother Paul by Billy Shears and the All-Americans. Both band names played off clues in the conspiracy, which again, we'll get into later. Um, one song even became a minor hit, St. Paul by Terry Knight. Wait a second. So Long Paul wasn't a, wasn't a hit? No, but oddly this song, St. Paul, even became a clue itself because due to the usage of a bit of Hey Jude in the song, McCartney and Lennon's MacLen music ended up taking publishing ownership of the song becoming the only non-Lennon-McCartney song to be owned by their publishing company. Obviously, that stuck out to people, especially since Knight had met Paul McCartney previously, having even sat in on one notable White Album recording session where Ringo temporarily left the band. Had Terry Knight been hand-selected by the band to deliver even more secret clues? Well, to me, to what end? I don't know. To me, the song either sounds like kind of a straightforward rumination about the actual apostle Saint Paul, or a metaphor for how Knight possibly saw during the White Album session that the band was about to fall apart, and Paul McCartney was struggling to be the glue to keep him together. So you be the judge. That one kind of slaps. I don't know. Well, we didn't get to the chorus yet. He mentions uh, Sergeant Pepper, so that Mm -hmm. that feels more like it's about Paul McCartney than a saint. Yes. In Canada, Polydor Records decided to exploit the conspiracy theory by re-releasing a package of the Beatles' pre-fame recordings called Very Together. And if anyone ever finds this at a thrift store, I will pay good money to own this because it's very fun. Um likely intending it to be purchased and investigated for clues the cover shows four candles one of which had been snuffed out very subtle <laughs> wait and this was made like by- literally in that october november time period and as a knockoff to like- capitalize on on this yes yeah but not by anyone connected with the beatles this is like a knockoff product that you'd find at a flea market? Yeah, it's it's basically just their their recordings from before they were signed. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> November saw a significant increase in sales of the whole Beatles catalog. Perhaps some fans were calmed when Life magazine on the trail of the Paul is Dead story showed up to trespass on McCartney's farm in Scotland to see if he was 
you know, dead. Oh, I'm alive, all right. <laughs> I'm alive. Well, he was initially furious, but he traded a short interview and cover photo session in turn for some initially unflattering photos of him being pissed off, which I think also included him throwing a bucket of water on someone. <laughs> he was just way ahead of the ALS challenge. <laughs> the November 7th cover story called Paul is Still With Us boasts an image of Paul with his wife Linda and two children. So he's all good, folks, right? Yeah, it seems that way. Or was he? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> the article also contained testimony from a Dr. Henry M. Truby of the University of Miami who had compared voice sonograms from yesterday and Hey Jude only to find that the voices were not from the same person. Really? And, I mean, our, our listeners should know this, it's, you know, but Paul McCartney allegedly sang both songs has anyone ever like corroborated that besides that person uh that i don't know because it sure sounds like paul mccartney sang both of those songs the same doctor now just to, to go into his cred a little bit he had been able to correctly match the voice sonograms of young adults to those of babies crying so this this meant that he could match a person's speaking voice as they grew up to their crying voice as a baby without knowing which was which so he was good at sonograms, I guess. It sounds like a good trick. I don't know. I, again. I mean, it was like with full accuracy. So mm -hmm. November also saw the airing of a Paul is Dead special TV broadcast on New York's WOR. Really? Paul McCartney, the complete story told for the first and last time... <laughs> was set in a courtroom and hosted by celebrity lawyer F. Lee Bailey. Yeah, from O.J. Yes, listeners may know that he would go on to join the O.J. Simpson defense team and be portrayed by Nathan Lane in American Crime Story. And we've previously mentioned him... McMartin Preschool? Maybe. He defended someone, or... He was, he was involved in something. West Memphis 3? Did he get involved with them? Uh, I don't know. He's always floating around. Bailey cross-examined theorists like Fred Labor and Russ Gibb and heard opposing views from witnesses like Beatles manager Alan Klein and Peter Asher, McCartney's personal friend, brother of his former fiancée Jane Asher, and musician in his own right. No video of this special still exists, which may make some shout cover-up. No, it makes... No, it, it doesn't need to be real for somebody to want to cover it up you know there was that photo that beyonce wanted to well, have taken off the internet well there's audio still so here's a clip of sound uploaded by youtuber the winged beetle who we will definitely be discussing again the witness think that they may have some clues that mr mccartney is in fact dead has been for some time and that his associates the beatles the witness think that they may have some clues that Mr. McCartney is in fact dead, has been for some time, and that his associates, the Beatles, are constantly trying to inform us of that fact. On the other hand, those who claim to be close to the Beatles say there's nothing at all to it, that Paul is very much alive and nobody ever tried to suggest anything. We'll hear from those witnesses and hear what they have to say. There is no judge in this case because you're the judge. Decide. Paul McCartney is dead, and if he is not dead, yeah. somebody is trying to persuade us that he is, and if so, for what reason? 
I'm not sure if that sound is from the winged beetle or from the original broadcast, but it's pretty dramatic. You do see uh, the winged beetle has a, a gavel banging, so he might have added the gavel sound yeah. as well. But I do like to imagine F. Lee Bailey turned. He's in a courtroom set, right? We know that. So I like to imagine he turned and motioned to an empty <laughs> judge's chair and said, there is no judge. Oh, yeah. It's so dramatic. It probably didn't help that pretty soon after this whole fracas, uh, the Beatles publicly fell apart. They were recording as solo artists, and though John had privately disclosed he was quitting the band, the breakup was publicly announced in April 1970 when McCartney released his surprise solo album, McCartney. Eventually, presumably, the Fuhrer died down once people had the band itself to mourn, and the rest of Beatles history played out. Lennon was tragically murdered. Lennon was tragically murdered. Harrison was stabbed, survived, but died soon after of, I believe, cancer. Yeah. And uh, now just Ringo Starr and McCartney, or his double anyway, remain. Yeah. So we'll get out our Beatles vinyls, discuss the legend, and dissect all the most famous clues after the break. Ooh. Musical Detectives. This episode of Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie is brought to you by our favorite record store, Static Era Records. If you're local to us in Connecticut or even coming in from New York, you can find their retail storefront just a short walk away from the Metro North Stop in downtown Milford, Connecticut, where you can bring in your own records to sell and trade or just browse a little. If you'd like to buy some of their records online, which we absolutely encourage you to do, go to staticerarecords.com because the owner, Jay Reason, also runs the Static Era Record label and uh, prints a lot of great uh, Connecticut and New York hardcore stuff out of there, as well as, um, you know, revived out-of-print movie soundtracks. Like, we have a great pressing of Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead with, like, clown dog paint splatters (laughs) all over it. Um, And they've got albums... um, from bands like Husbandry, In This Moment, uh, and more. You can find classics there, too, from uh, Rob Zombie to Springsteen to The Beatles. So, you know, you can go check out those LP sleeves for some clues. Check out Static Era at staticerarecords.com and on Instagram and Facebook at Static Era Records. And don't forget to tell Jay that Ain't It Scary sent you. Welcome back. When last we left you, Caroline had set the stage, the conspiratorial stage, all the fertile ground for rumors to start spreading as to after the Beatles had broken up in 1970. And uh, now we're going to get into all those clues that the band supposedly left us about their dead former leader? Bandmate. Friend. I know I've been teasing the clues themselves for this whole time, uh, and now we are finally here. For me, this story made sense to first go through chronologically, analyze the spread of the hysteria, and then double back with that context for all of the clues. And there are a lot of clues, and they might seem a little crazy. But um, fans were able to piece together a narrative of the real Paul McCartney's death, so to speak. And it always goes something like this. On late November 8th, or very early morning, November 9th, 1966, McCartney had an argument with his bandmates during a recording session for, I believe, what would be Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. 
He drove off in a fury. He crashed the car, possibly after picking up a pretty young hitchhiker who, upon realizing who her famous driver was, threw her arms around him, distracting him. And he was killed in the crash. Probably she, both of them. She didn't recognize Paul McCartney until they were on the road? Well, I guess she got a closer look. Catches his face in the beams of an oncoming car. Mm. So he was killed in this crash, uh, decapitated, in fact. And yes, that's an important part. Are you saying he blew his mind out in a car? No spoilers, Sean. To spare the public from grief, thinking mass suicides would take place if the world found out, the Beatles conspired with MI5 and decided it was best <laughs> if the death was covered up. Very important for national security, of course. <laughs> Not security, but again, they thought mass suicides would happen. And <laughs> there was some precedent because there were suicides, uh, which we talked about, when Rudolph Valentino died. I, so I, it has happened before. I actually believe there are there were a few after Kurt Cobain's suicide. Yes. Al although I might just That's be more thinking, recent. I might be thinking of the comic book preacher. No, there were. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's more that weren't noted as this person died, but I'm sure people killed themselves after Jim Morrison died or whatever. So they covered up the death, and not only that, McCartney was secretly replaced. They tapped the winner of a McCartney lookalike contest, <laughs> which... What, what are they, Journey? <laughs> the name um, is usually given as William Shears Campbell. They gave him some plastic surgery and turned him into fake Paul, or fall as the believers in the conspiracy call him why do conspiracy it's funny that conspiracy theorists need to shorten uh names so often because it seems like instead a lot, of they writing have, fake paul out it seems like they have all the time in the world on their hands well they had to denote which one was which so fall you know because of their deep guilt, grief, and Lennon in particular's love of clues and wordplay, the band buried clues to the lie in the rest of their released music so that fans may possibly finally realize what happened to their idol. Since then, McCartney has been fall. That's the part that doesn't make, like, just on its face makes no sense at all. The why clue would, part? Why would they carry on, disguise it, but also leave clues? Like, they're the Zodiac killer. <sighs> I, I mean, part of it is because Lennon was just a weird guy and he liked weird stuff having to do with like strange words and everything, which Raspberry we'll get Raspberry jab. <laughs> Raspberry jab. We'll get into uh, his inspirations. But I mean, there is some pretext for it. It's a wild story, but the clues supposedly bear this version of events out. For the rest of the episode, I suggest that if you have the vinyl albums in question that we're discussing, or even maybe CDs, but I think it's probably more likely you have vinyls, take them out and examine them physically for the full 1969 conspiracy experience. If not, Google Images is your friend. And if you're driving, for God's sake, keep your eyes on the road, and I will do my best to explain everything visual so you can go back and check it out later if you're so inclined. The first major clues come with the release of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, the first album after McCartney's alleged death in November 1966. You don't even have to play the album to see the first clues because there are a shitload within the album art. <laughs> Here's a list. The whole scene on the iconic album cover is said to resemble a funeral. Yeah, if you're not... Here, I'll give this to you to look at. You probably already know what this album cover looks like, but um, in case 
uh, you're in the dark on this and not Google imaging it right now. Uh, you've got the Beatles dressed as a fi- as the fictional Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band. They're standing behind a bass drum with that band's name on it. Mm-hmm. Beatles is underneath them in flowers. Uh, we'll get to the flower arrangement in a moment. We sure will. Uh, and there's a bunch of famous, uh, largely... Oh, I was going to say largely dead, but that's not even true. There's a bunch of famous people behind them. Yeah. The whole scene on the iconic album cover is said to resemble a funeral with flowers on a newly dug grave. Wax figures of the old Beatles look sadly on, while the new Beatles, Paul in the middle of course, stand in the center of the image. Many of those in the crowd on the album cover died young or tragic deaths, including our boy Edgar Allan Poe, comedian Lenny Bruce, writer Dylan Thomas... Marilyn Monroe, James Dean, former Beatles Stuart Sutcliffe, and more. Yeah, but also like Bob Dylan's on here. I said many. I didn't say all. There are two interesting figures behind Paul, uh, the Paul wearing the blue uniform in the middle. And these are comedian Issy Bon and writer Stephen Crane. Issy Bon from Insecure on HBO? That's Issa Rae. <laughs> Issy Bon is holding his hand above uh, Paul's head open, which apparently is supposed to signify death or religious benediction associated with funerals in certain Far Eastern societies. Oh, so like he's performing last rites on Paul here? It's hard to find specific references to this in Far Eastern societies outside of like Paul's dead conspiracy sites. But uh, I mean, you know, you've, you've definitely seen a priest like raise his hand in a like praying over people. Stephen Crane is an interesting addition. Uh, He wrote a short story named The Open Boat about four men who struggle to survive in a lifeboat. The one most determined to keep the group together dies in the ordeal. The other three are then left to tell the story. Sound familiar? (laughs) We're stretched. We're we're grasping at straws. Don't say me. I'm just, I'm just... Given research, that's all. But I guess the theory here is really if you grasp at enough straws, eventually they will break the camel's back. And look on the back here, No, Paul. we're not at the back yet. We're still on the front. Still on the front. <laughs> Two other people included in the crowd are Lewis Carroll and Alistair Crowley. Carroll is most well known for writing Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, um, and he was a particular proponent of quirky wordplay and made-up language. Crowley, also known as The Great Beast 666, wrote in his book <laughs> He wrote in his book Magic Book 4 that a follower should quote drain himself to think backwards by external means. Is- One of which was to listen to phonograph records reversed. Both figures will be increasingly important as we get into the Beatles later more psychedelic lyrics and alleged backmasking. Okay, sure, but like again, also like Marlon Brando's here. I said many. Stan Laurel. <laughs> they also had people that they were just fans of, but some may have more meaning. The flowers on grave area also offers some interesting clues. There is a left-handed guitar rendered in yellow hyacinths to the bottom right. I need to point out that it's not a grave. It was actually referred to as a grave by the. Beatles, like, press guy. He was like, oh, the grave? And the person interviewing him was like, the grave? It looks like a garden to me. Well, the grave. (laughs) 
Paul is or was the only member of the Beatles to be a lefty, and this is a specifically left-handed guitar. The guitar also only has three strings. Is this meant to represent the three remaining members of the Beatles? Also, if you trace letters into the flower sections of the yellow guitar, they apparently spell Paul? How can you tell it's a left-handed guitar? Because a left-handed, I mean, it's situated to be left-handed. Okay, if Paul picked it up as it is right now, it would be, yes. he'd be playing a left-handed. Mm-hmm. A statue of the Indian goddess Kali sits in the direct bottom middle of the image. Kali is a symbol of rebirth and regeneration. The red flowers in the image spell out Beatles, not the Beatles, and often the band goes by Beatles for the rest of their career together. Is this supposed to represent that they're not the Beatles anymore without Paul, but just some Beatles? Yeah, what was the title of their album after this again? Magical Mystery Tour? No, no, their next LP. Oh, oh, that's right. It was The Beatles? (laughs) The White Album. (laughs) I said often. (laughs) They often go by just Beatles. The title of the album is The Beatles. (sighs) The iconic bass drum design with the album's name on it, right in the middle of the image, was credited to a visual artist named Joe F. Grave. That's E-P-H-G-R-A-V-E. But there has been speculation that he didn't actually exist, and it's hard to find any other work of his. And that's true. I tried. There is also a thought that the surname F. Grave was used as a shortened version of Epitaph Grave. Oh. (laughs) So, you know. Epitaph Grave. (laughs) You know. That old old chestnut. (laughs) The drum also delivers more clues. When a mirror is placed on its edge in the center of lonely hearts, a hidden message is revealed. One, O-N-E-I-X, he die. Some have interpreted this to mean 11, nine, he die. Now, of course, uh, if he had died on November 9th, Britain would have used 9-11, he die for November 9th. But then that brings us to 9-11, and that's a whole other can of worms. So let's just keep it at 11-9, he die. (laughs) (laughs) 11-9, he die. (laughs) Between this and some evidence that Paul McCartney really was involved in a non-fatal motorbike accident around November 9th, 1966, it's become the supposed date of the real Paul's death. But that wasn't even a car crash. I thought he died in a car wreck that took his head off. Okay. Well, I'm just saying. Paul, in his blue uniform, is playing a black clarinet while the other Beatles are holding brass instruments. Black equals death. Uh, It's also a weird thing to be playing in a marching band, I guess. I disagree with everything you just said. I've been (laughs) in a marching band. They all have clarinets. Uh, The French horn and trumpet there would usually traditionally be brass, right? Uh, George is ho- not holding a brass instrument. He's holding a flute. It's silver, like flutes usually are. Well, okay. And Paul's metal. holding a and Paul's holding a black, a black clarinet. Black they're, black equals death. They're black, ninety eight percent of the Sean, time. Sean, black equals death. To the right of the group is a ghoulish looking grandma dummy sitting on a chair, and it is ghoulish looking. On its lap is a doll of Shirley Temple wearing a Welcome the Rolling Stones sweater. Your hosts for this evening, the Rolling Stones. <laughs> also on its lap is a toy Aston Martin, supposedly the car Paul crashed in his fatal accident. 
The dummy also bears a white driver's glove on its left hand. Again, Paul was famously a lefty. Left-handed and died in a car crash. And this glove appears to be stained with red, possibly blood. Sean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Here's what I want to... Oh, we're not done with the... Go ahead. Well, now we go to the back cover. Okay. There's probably more, less... on, but those are the, the main ones. There's a lot less here. We've got all the lyrics. And we've got a photograph of the boys still in their little uniforms. John has got his hand down his pants <laughs> and his jacket all the way open. But other than that, they're, uh, you know, they've put their instruments down and they're relaxing. Ringo, John, and George stand facing the camera while only Paul stands with his back to the camera. Is this supposed to symbolize that he's different than the other three? Or maybe it's to cover up the fact that the Paul scene on the front and back covers is actually a cardboard cutout used while William Shears Campbell was undergoing his plastic surgery. Some people think this because Paul seems taller than the rest in these images, whereas in earlier footage and in photos pre-November 1966, he's about the same height as John and George. And it's weird to have a growth spurt in your mid-twenties. Well, on the back cover, he looks like he's standing well in front of the rest of them it's a thing that will happen keep happening he's still he keeps being taller than them paul the the only striking thing about this to me really is that because again the thing on the front could just be a garden it is it's striking that paul is facing the opposite direction on the back cover i think that's the only Well, it's not the only thing, Sean, because the back cover is blood red, symbolizing, you guessed it, blood. Is ours just faded? Because this is orange. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's a light red. The song title, Within You, Without You, is across Paul's back with the lyrics suggesting that we never glimpse the truth till we pass away. Yeah, and yet the words pass away or across John's face, which is interesting. Ooh, even spookier. George kind of awkwardly has his finger pointing up in the image directly at the lyrics Wednesday morning at five o'clock as the day begins from the song She's Leaving Home. Was this when Paul got in his fatal crash or perhaps when the rest received the news? Ironically, November 9th of 1966 was indeed a Wednesday. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> when the album cover is opened, you are right on track, Sean. Um, we see the group sitting and all facing the camera. Paul is wearing an arm patch on his uniform that seems to read OPD. In Britain, OPD stands for Officially Pronounced Dead and is their equi- equivalent of America's DOA. Paul later said that it was a patch from the Ontario Police Department. But he was even wrong about that, because in reality, it looks to be a patch from the Ontario Provincial Police, with the last P looking like a D in the picture. Or maybe it said OPD the whole time. Do you know what OPP? (laughs) Now, finally, we get to the actual music. In the title song, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, we get these lyrics. I don't really want to stop the show. Oh, so Paul's gone and Billy Shears is here. Mm-hmm. So is Paul or Fall say- 
<laughs> so I'm trying to be serious about this. Saying that because they didn't want to stop the show and end the Beatles, they replaced the singer with Billy Shears, who they're officially introducing on this album. No, I think they're doing a silly bit because the person he's introducing isn't even... That's Paul introducing someone else singing, who is Ringo. The song then fades into With a Little Help from My Friends, which famously begins with the band singing... Billy Shears. And so the people who subscribe to this, not this podcast, I mean this conspiracy theory, <laughs> literally believe that the double's name was William Shears. Campbell. And they just put it right into the song. Yes. The song asks, what if I sang out of tune? I'll try not to sing out of key. Well, with a little help from Fall's friends, Ringo, John, and George, Fall will get by with his ruse. He's not singing. Ringo is. He sings He's many singing other songs as... on the record. <laughs> this is one of the only ones he doesn't sing. The, lo- <laughs> the song Lovely Rita just might be about the hitchhiker Paul picked up that preempted his fatal accident called Rita. The song also has this eerie lyric in context. Took her home. I nearly made it. Were they killed before they could reach home? I think that's about almost having sex. Or were they killed, Sean? (laughs) The song A Day in the Life is supposed to have several clues, the main being the lyrics, he blew his mind out in a car he didn't notice that the lights had changed. A crowd of people stood and stared, they seen his face before. Is this talking about Paul's car accident and head trauma or decapitation, and that he was a famous man when he died? John Lennon later said that this portion of the song was about Guinness heir Tara Brown, a friend of McCartney's who died in a car accident. This same Tara Brown was, weirdly, with Paul McCartney at the time of his rumored actual motorbike accident. Here's the story uh, behind that, by the way, as recounted in the book McCartney by Chris Salowitz. McCartney and Brown were at Paul's brother's house when they shared a joint and a few drinks. They decided to take a pair of mopeds to visit Paul's Aunt Bet, but shortly before arriving at her house, Paul lost control of his motorbike and was thrown over the handlebars into the street. What are you, Kendall Roy? (laughs) And he landed on his face with some serious injuries. A private doctor was called and a scar would eventually remain on his upper lip. Unless, of course, it was a scar left over from Fall's plastic surgery. Either way, the scar emerged around the same time. So are they saying the motorbike accident was was just a convenient excuse for the plastic surgery scar? Uh, Maybe. (laughs) So Brown got into two accidents on the road late in 1966, and one of which was fatal. Can I say, you've seen what people look like when they get plastic surgery today Mm -hmm. you can usually you know i'm sure there's some people getting work done that i can't tell right and i just don't know about it because i can't tell but i feel like usually there are many tumblers that show that you can tell i feel like usually you can usually you can tell Oh, oh, you're saying there's many tumblers (laughs) showing pictures of like the fall illusion slipping Mm mm-hmm so that was just Sergeant Pepper's. Um, if the remaining Beatles really were leaving hints, these were a hell of a lot of breadcrumbs. But the trail would not stop there. 
Next for fans to peruse was the Beatles' late 1967 release, Magical Mystery Tour, and the accompanying BBC TV film of the same name. There's a lot here, folks, so take out your Magical Mystery Tour vinyl and strap in. (laughs) First again, we'll start with the album art. They've gone fully psychedelic with this one, sporting rainbows, bright colors, and fat 60s fonts. Well, these are costumes they wear in the tv special right i've never seen this one but it's it's not good i've seen it like once um (laughs) the four band members are wearing full animal costumes a white hippo a white rabbit a white chicken and a black walrus and this i feel like isn't technically considered one of their like albums because it's a soundtrack to the tv special i think you're thinking of yellow submarine that's more of a soundtrack than this yellow submarine has like some score parts too So guess who it's said to be in the walrus costume? Paul, of course, because black equals death, Sean. Well, you mean fall. Fall, yes. You you are so right. Thank you. Allegedly. It was a double EP in in the UK. Allegedly, according to some Scandinavian cultures, the walrus is a harbinger of death. And the word walrus was supposedly derived from the word corpse in Greek. First of all, I can kind of believe that because I think of the animals Scandinavian folks would see a lot. It might be one of the more devil-like ones. He's got big tusks. He's very large and scary. I couldn't find anything non-Paul is Dead related about that. But again, it's mentioned on like every Paul is Dead article and site. So it may just be drowning it out if it does exist. So what? yeah, once again, it's like the... um, what was the John Podesta thing with that artist where people were like, oh, this is a reference to an ancient, to like a satanic yes. ritual? Yes. Um, now, maybe this is ancient Greek as well, but the word corpse in Greek is toma. I don't even know if I'm saying that right. So not walrus <laughs> or anything sounding like walrus. <laughs> Lenin claimed that he was the one in the walrus costume, but admittedly that's hard to believe because the chicken is the one wearing Lenin's signature circular glasses. So you would assume that was him. Well, they did like to throw you off. Well, we'll get into walruses a little more in a minute. If you trace lines over the letters in Beatles, spelled out in yellow stars, again, just Beatles, not the Beatles, Sean, and you hold it up to a mirror, a phone number supposedly became visible. Um, and, you know, if you do this in different ways, you could supposedly get a few different phone numbers out of it, 537-1438 or 231-7438, uh-huh. etc. Some claimed that if you called the correct number, it would tell the caller, you're getting closer. <laughs> <laughs> Other- we don't have a, please tell me we have an audio recording of that. No. Others swore the number led to a funeral home, while others claimed that someone stating their name was Billy Shears picked up and quizzed them on Beatles trivia. If you called at Wednesday morning at 5 o'clock, perhaps you would receive the truth about Paul's death. One phone number uh, of the ones you could get out of this apparently belonged to a journalist for The Guardian who was going nuts answering calls from those hoping to talk to McCartney or maybe his ghost. Uh, or his body double, yes. William Shears. Full. I-, I love that Shears is in the Beatles actively at this time and also just loves Beatles trivia. Just oh, loves quizzing sure. random callers. At heart, he's a fan, Sean. <laughs> All first and foremost. Um, if that was true, I always love a... Fo- there-, there was an old like adventure game uh, where you had to... 
at one point one of the clues was a phone number and you had to call the phone number and a voice on the other end would tell you the next thing you had to do in the game mm-hmm. um I always love tie-ins like that. That is uh, uh, very, very cool. If the Beatles had actually done that, they'd be cooler for it. <laughs> there is something. Um, well, first, there was the phone number in um, Lucha Libre, Lucha Underground. Who whose phone number was it? The, Cage the machine. Mm, no. Oh no! It was. Um, uh, it was the phone number he always said. Five four four. Get fame. Yeah, and that that was beat. a real one. Yeah. Um, and also in Animal Crossing in a more recent game, uh, at a certain time on Saturday, I think it's like 3 a.m., you, you turn on the TV and whatever your house is and you get like a weird alien on the TV. So that's fun. That is fun. <laughs> so there's a decent amount on the cover, not as much as Sergeant Pepper, but there was a lot going on with that cover. This is a very simple cover. It's just the four of them uh, well, in the it's costumes. simple then... for being on acid. It's four of them in <laughs> weird costumes, and then it's a bunch of stars behind them. Well, let's take a look at the original LP's 24-page color booklet insert that came with the album, because, of course, that will have a lot. <laughs> this booklet contained photos taken from the TV special, as well as the song list. On the song list, underneath the words, I am the walrus, a weird little note reads, No, you're not, said little Nicola. <laughs> This happens again in a cartoon on page three. Is this supposed to mean that John was lying when he said he was the walrus? Or that the Paul inside the walrus costume wasn't the real Paul? Another photo in the booklet shows Paul in a military garb sitting at a desk. A sign in front of him reads, I was. What well, kind of reads I you was, but does this mean he was Paul, but is no longer? I you you was. It, does, it sounds like a George Harrison song. I you was, I you was, <laughs> I you was. Another alleged clue in this picture is that the crossed flags behind Paul are how flags are positioned for military funerals in England. Don't know if that's true. shouldn't have said it (laughs) i know i know how like i couldn't find anything besides uh having your flags at half mast so no i was quoting short of the no i know you you shouldn't say i know um there are also a ton of hands or open hands above paul's head specifically in several photos in the booklet which goes back to the death symbol i mentioned from the cover of sergeant pepper sort of like the prayer symbol Interestingly, no other beetle is shown with a hand over their head in photos from Magical Mystery Tour or any other album from that matter. But there's like at least a half dozen to a dozen of Paul throughout the albums. And then he once again had the hand over set, obviously, on the cover of uh, Sgt. Pepper. Yes. And on the cover of Yellow Submarine, which we'll get to. It is a little weird considering how often it happens to Paul, but maybe he just has a fetish for standing under hands. Who knows? A couple cartoons of Paul in the booklet are also shown where he's playing with a toy car, and he also has a crack in his head. So I don't think I need to explain these. He blew his mind out. In a car. Yes. Paul is barefoot on page 13. Ooh, spooky. In one image of him standing in front of a piano, which will come back again when we discuss Abbey Road. The barefoot part, not the piano part. Yes. Bare feet are supposed to signify a corpse, but I'm not totally sure why. Again, this only comes up in Paul is Dead 
TikTok? Oh, I read that it might be because corpses in England are buried without shoes, but that seems a little crazy. It's almost certainly <laughs> untrue. How could that be true? I don't know. That's the only explanation I could find. Is leather so scarce? <laughs> Paul's shoes are off to the side in this picture, and what appears to be red stains are on them. Is this supposed to be blood? Or is it just the color bleed from the red bass drum near them? Who knows? <laughs> All of these are possibilities. <laughs> Speaking of the drum, it appears to read, Love the Three Beatles. Is that because the fourth is dead? <gasps> On page 23 of the booklet, as well as in the film, the Beatles are shown wearing all white suits and flowers in their lapels. Ringo, John, and George's flowers are red, but Paul's is strangely black. How did Paul explain this weird little difference? I had a black carnation because they'd run out of red ones. And I said, all right, I'll have a black one, I'll have whatever you've got. Oh, that was a short and sweet uh, explanation. Yeah, but even if you don't believe in this conspiracy whatsoever, it's a pretty poor excuse. Why would you just happen to have black flowers on hand, considering they don't naturally occur in nature? You'd have to make it. Right. And he also gets handed a bouquet of red flowers in the shot. So why didn't they just use one of those? Why is he standing out? Some of this stuff, like I definitely think him being barefoot on the Abbey Road cover, um, because these rumors were already alive and well by that time, right? By Abbey Road, yes. So I think... Wait. They, yes. So I think, well, the rumors... Once they knew about the rumors, I think they probably had fun playing into that nonsense. Because I I, I know they liked writing nonsense lyrics to get people's... Actually, you know. I don't think it was by Abbey Road. Oh, I really? I think Abbey Road came out right before this all happened. Oh, well, that, that's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Another image in the booklet is of a fisheye lens view of a banquet scene in black and white. When you rotate the image 90 degrees and, I don't know, like blur it or squint your eyes, um, it does seem to look like a ghoulish laughing skull. Well, no, now it looks like a duck. <laughs> oh, and this way it's a rabbit. It's really a Rorschach test. Now it's a duck again. In the film, there's a sequence where the Beatles stand in a field between a tree and an old piano. Behind them, a white car speeds down the road. Is this supposed to symbolize Paul's white Aston Martin from the crash? Was it an Aston Martin, even? I, I don't know. I, I don't know anything about cars. Uh, the music in Magical Mystery Tour does contain some of the spookiest Paul is Dead clues of the whole lot. We can begin with the song I Am the Walrus, which Lennon later explained as an acid-fueled tribute to another Lewis Carroll work, The Walrus and the Carpenter. In this poem, the titular walrus tricks a group of oysters into taking a walk along the beach, eventually becoming victims of his cruel hoax. If Lennon is the walrus, as he sings in the song, is he talking about how he's making the public his gullible oysters in the Paul cover-up? We'll return to the walrus thing again later. Uh, also in the song is mention of a stupid bloody Tuesday. Perhaps the Tuesday night Paul stormed out of the Beatles recording session never to return. At the very end of the song, during the fade out, voices can be heard performing the final lines of Act 4, Scene 6 of Shakespeare's King Lear, including the line, Oh, untimely death. <gasps> Lennon later explained this away by saying that they were doing live theater on BBC Radio at the time, and he decided to just cut in those lines as they were recording. But if you reverse the same section, you get this. 
What does that sound like to you? Well, I know from the screen of the YouTube video well, that you sent I, me that's that That's why I don't like sending these to you ahead of time. Supposed to say, Paul is dead. Ha ha. Paul is dead. Ha ha. Pretty ghoulish, huh? Well, let's let's let the listener have have their own uh, opinion. It also just sounds weird, thanks to the inherent creepiness of backmasking. Um, well, yeah, and that section forwards just sounds like everybody loompa, everybody loompa. <laughs> Which is weird, too. Uh, it's already weird. You may remember the idea of backmasking from our Satanic Panic episodes. It's the belief that musical artists bury hidden messages backwards within their music, only accessible when the record is played backwards. Yeah. This is, this is supposed to fit in with Crowley's Satanic beliefs, because he was um, big on being backwards, and also act as a subconscious message to the, lis to the listener. Right. Like um, people hear... The most notable example might be the Stairway to Heaven. Mm -hmm. Like, my sweet Satan. My sweet Satan. Yeah, it sounded like something from Twin Peaks. Next, in the fade out of the song Strawberry Fields Forever, we have this little clip. We need to hear that again, right? Mm-hmm. I buried Paul. I buried Paul. But again, I, I said this to you earlier as I was pulling this clip. Uh, I We just watched eight hours of John Lennon in the studio <laughs> being uh, very silly. And I think it's more likely that he's just saying, I bury bowls. Well, in David Chef's Playboy interviews with Lennon and Yoko Ono, he asked, what about that line in I Am the Walrus? I buried Paul. Lennon responded, I said cranberry sauce. Cranberry sauce is all I said. Cranberry sauce. Why was he talking about cranberry sauce then? Who knows? Again, we just watched eight hours of him uh, reading their set lists. <laughs> yeah, at least that makes sense. Where did cranberry sauce come from? Reversing the music at the beginning of Blue Jay Way is also supposed to reveal a clue. That one's pretty weak. What do you hear? What do you hear? That's what I hear. I don't hear words. It's... Let me do it again. Okay. Okay. That time I heard Hollywood. <laughs> Hollywood. No Hollywood. Or did you hear... Paul is bloody. Paul is bloody. <laughs> Paul is very bloody. <laughs> no, it definitely wasn't that. Hold on. Paul is bloody. You're cheating. <laughs> I'm trying to show you where it, you know, corresponds. It's not there. It's not there. <sighs> we'll end Magical Mystery Tour with one lyric sung by Paul, or Fall, that may prove to be... Stop shaking your head at me. It may prove to be particularly telling. I don't know why you say goodbye. I say hello. So. 
Next, <laughs> next was the White Album, the Beatles' famous double album, released in November 1960, oh, 1968. Nothing on the cover to examine here because uh, it is perp- almost purposefully like just plain white. Again, this is not called the White Album. This is called the Beatles, even though we, we've, we've, we're depending on the idea now that they only go by Beatles. <laughs> I now. didn't know. I said often. I said often. Uh, yeah, it has the Beatles on the cover, and that's it. The words, the Beatles. Um, but there are photos on the inside of the album, thanks to the accompanying poster, and there's a lot to investigate here. On the bottom right, there's a photo of Paul looking like he's dancing and clapping his hands or, you know, doing something weird. From the right side of the picture, a weird image can be seen, almost like two skeletal ghostly hands reaching out for Paul. Can you show me this? Um... It is in the Paul is dead folder on the desktop. Because that's a normal thing to have. Okay, so which picture are you talking about? Bottom right. There's a picture of Paul kind of like looking weird, dancing, looking like he's clapping maybe. Okay. Now you just see the, the two skeletal ghostly hands reaching out for him. Oh, I see like a little lens flare or something. Skeletal ghostly hands. Or this is a photograph of a photograph, right? It's probably glare on the finish. I don't know. On the top left, I think, there's an image of Paul in a bath, which many say resembles a body being cleaned at an autopsy. Could it be Paul's autopsy? Well, if it's Paul's body being cleaned at an autopsy, you would hope it was Paul's body. Uh Uh-huh. But you only see his head, which may be pertinent because he was decapitated. This picture at the top, left? I think. Of the bath? Yeah, of the bath. You don't just see his head. It's clearly attached to his neck. Or is it? (laughs) (laughs) I can see his nipple. Okay, that was my bad. Young Caroline, eat your heart out. (laughs) Stop. On the bottom left is a photo, a small square photo, somewhat resembling a clean-cut Paul with horn-rimmed specks and a mustache, looking something like a passport photo. Many believers say this is actually William Shears Campbell before he joined the Beatles and got his fall McCartney makeover. It, yes, plastic surgery, of course. Mm-hmm. Well, he didn't have to look a ton more like Paul because he already did. He won the Paul lookalike contest. Sean. We also see another white car on this poster, symbolizing McCartney's doomed white Aston Martin. Again, these are never pictures of Aston Martins. And the only detail that we're ever told about the car is that it was one. (laughs) And white. The record itself has some of the most famous clues, both forward and backward on the record. Uh, The first part starts with a lyric that left conspiracists frothing at the mouth. In Glass Onion, Lennon sings, I have another clue for you all. The walrus was Paul. Now, Glass Onion is a troll song. (laughs) Well, this is odd for two reasons. One, the conspiracy hadn't even begun yet since this was recorded in 1968. So why is he talking about people looking for clues, especially those relating to Paul? It is weird. I don't think so. In I'm the Walrus is a song that... John wrote on acid, right? Like fully yes. 
Well, you see, at least started it on acid, yes. It is fully like a a nonsense poem that's meant to be silly, weird imagery and, and nothing else. And people spent, you know, months and months digging through the lyrics, looking for hidden meanings, and uh, did that with everything the Beatles made. And so here, this is just John having fun at their expense by just stringing a, a, a bunch of recursive jokes and references to old Beatles songs and uh, kind of red herrings that don't mean anything for people to pour over with ultimately no meaning. Oh, why is he saying the walrus was Paul here when he insisted that he was both the walrus in the song and on the cover of Magical Mystery Tour? Because now you're talking about it. No. Another famous bit is a song integral to the Paul is Dead theory. Another famous bit of a song integral to the Paul is Dead theory is at the end of Lennon's song, I'm So Tired. Muttering can be heard between the end of the song and the beginning of the next, McCartney's Blackbird. Yeah, it sounds like buzzer, buzzer, buzzer. Forwards, it sounds like gibberish, but when you reverse the clip, you get this. Also gibberish. By the way, this clip is it going to be, it's going to be what it sounds like in forward. You'll hear like the buzzer, buzzer, buzzer. Stop saying bussy. And then you'll hear it reversed. <laughs> Uh, which, you know, they, where it coalesces into something chilling. So. It sounded like, miss it, miss it, miss it, hey! Well, it's Paul is dead man, miss him, miss him, miss him. So you did kind of get miss him out of that. Paul is dead man, miss him, miss him, miss him. Yeah, you can, I mean, you can hear this more than the last one. Here. This is better than most uh, Ghost Adventures EVP. <laughs> Do you think this is where they got that idea, by the way? Oh, people will hear anything in anything. <sighs> that time I heard it less. <sighs> Next, the song Don't Pass Me By, written by Ringo, has one fairly creepy lyric in or out of context. You were in a car crash and you lost your hair. I don't think I have to explain the relevance of this one either. Blues minded in a car. <laughs> Aston Martin, white Aston Martin. Decapitated. Near the end of the album is the longest and probably the weirdest Beatles recording ever committed to vinyl. John Lennon's trippy Revolution 9. Listening to this whole song is a struggle because it's not really a song. It's more of a musical acid trip collage. However, the song contains multiple Paul is Dead clues. At the very beginning of the song, we hear a sterile voice repeat number nine, number nine, over and over again. When this is reversed, you get... Turn me on, dead man. Yes, that's the famous turn me on, dead man, with the dead man being, of course, Paul, Paul. McCartney. Why is John telling him to turn him on? Well, I think that also means, like, uh, give me drugs or do drugs with me or something. It's like, I'd love to turn you on is also a euphemism for, like, I'd love to do drugs with you. Why couldn't, even if he was saying that on purpose, in reverse, 
why would why isn't that not just directed at any other ghost who he wants to give him drugs? Because he loves Paul. There's also the sound of a car crash with a man's voice seemingly screaming, get me out, get me out. And this is creepy. And just some other weird lines that are, you know, freaky, I guess. On the Demian, dead man. Um, I like. I heard his lungs are gone, and you have to go see a surgeon. With that audio nightmare behind us, we move on to the much peppier Yellow Submarine, the soundtrack to the Beatles animated film, released in January 1969. Again on the cover, as we mentioned, we have a hand held over cartoon Paul's head. This time, it's John Lennon giving Paul the funeral benediction. Ah, he who would be dressed as the priest on Mm. the next album. Spoilers. There's not much more in the art, surprisingly, but there are a few clues in the songs. In Only a Northern Song, George sings the lyrics, When you're listening late at night, you may think the band's not quite right. And... If you think the harmony is a little dark and out of key, you're correct. There's nobody there. Is the harmony out of key and the band not quite right because the real Paul isn't there, having been replaced by Fall? It could be. It could be. <laughs> it could be. Let's play a clip now from All Together Now, backwards. Uh, that car crash sound is not from <laughs> the the uh, song that no. is from the YouTube channel. Um, so yes, I bury Paul together now. Yeah, I, could, I bury Paul. That one I could hear. <laughs> I really only hear it the first time clearly and then the suggestions there so my brain thinks i hear it the other times i think is what's happening and in the single lady madonna we again get a reference to wednesday morning wednesday morning's papers didn't come wait there's a lyric for every day in that song tuesday well (laughs) is this because they decided to cover up paul's death so there weren't any shocking headlines wednesday morning yeah Maybe. No, I think it's about how she's not paying any of her bills. Next came Abbey Road, the album released in late September 1969, just before the Paul is Dead craze began. And the clues start again right on the cover, kids. Uh, You definitely know this cover. It's probably just as iconic as Sgt. Pepper's, if not more so. The four Beatles are crossing the street, the titular Abbey Road, on a crosswalk, walking in a line. Guess what this is supposed to look like. Graves? A funeral procession, of course. John is in the front with long hair and a white suit, looking all Jesus-y. He's the preacher, or the Christ figure. Next is Ringo in a plain black suit, the Undertaker. Paul Paul is third with an outdated suit, but no shoes. Mm -hmm. Again, the whole barefoot thing. 
And he's the only one without shoes. When people are hit by cars, they are often knocked out of their shoes. Mm. I know Paul was supposed to be in the car, but... Well, his head was knocked off. Maybe his shoes were. He's also holding a cigarette, but in his right hand, not his left, which seems like it would be the natural because he's a lefty. Sean, you are a lefty who once smoked. Ew. Um, how did you hold cigarettes? Did you usually hold them in your dominant hand? I believe I was ambidextrous with them. Um, you asked me while you were writing this, and I tried to uh, get my head there and mime it. I think I would have always lit a cigarette holding it in my left hand, but I think they, it gets passed back and forth depending on whether your hands have stuff to do. Mm. Also, cigarettes are apparently sometimes known as coffin nails, so, you know, spooky coffins and all that. You want any death sticks? <laughs> and death sticks. Paul later explained the barefoot thing, but it's a really bad explanation, and it doesn't really make any sense. He told Rolling Stone in 1973 that the reason he was barefoot on the album cover was because it was a hot day, so he kicked off his flip-flops and went barefoot. No, we just couldn't really afford shoes back then, you know. <laughs> well, wouldn't hot asphalt be unbearably hot in that case? Why wouldn't you keep on your flip-flops? Especially having to walk back and forth on it until getting the right shot. It's weird. Uh, and behind him is George in all working man's denim. He is the grave digger. That's a weirder choice in the heat. I mean, a full suit is weird. Maybe denim's a little more breathable. Uh, a full Canadian tuxedo? Don't say, don't say my feet were hot, so I kicked off my flip-flops? Yeah, I get it. His feet were getting sweaty. So he, he decided to stand on the hot black asphalt? Dumb. It was dumb. Behind the group is a white Volkswagen, another white car, and the license plate reads LMW 28IF, which is supposed to signify that Paul McCartney would have been his 28th year of existence if he was still alive. He was 27 at the time of the photo being taken, but this is according to some philosophy, believing that aging begins at conception and not birth. So 28th year of life. And meanwhile, the uh, license plate on the right side on the police car says 72-4-F, and that is supposed to be because, uh, of course, the Beatles would break up two years before the year 1972, and um, George joined the 4-F while he was in the U.S. <laughs> there are several clues on the back cover as well. Again, we see Beatles written out, not the Beatles. There are also a series of three dots to the left of Beatles that, if connected, appear to spell out the number three, as in only three Beatles left. Do you see the dots? Yeah, so yeah I, I guess. They have like cigarette burn looking uh, indentations mm -hmm. in the cement there. There's also an odd shadow or reflection to the right of the S in Beatles that looks like a skull. Like a, a ghost face kind of skull. Maybe, yeah, like the top half of the Misfits skull, maybe. Or like the, sc the screaming sc skull. Um, <laughs> there's also a woman crossing quickly in front of the shot with only her back, blue dress, and legs seen. This is supposed to symbolize Rita. Is this Rita supposedly, did she also die in this crash? Um, It's uncertain. There's less about Rita in the crash online. I remember there being more on this website that I used to, to look at about this, which I'll talk <laughs> about later, but I couldn't find it. Um, 
The lyrics are an embarrassment of riches as well. We begin with another psychedelic John romp come together. Some think he's singing about a corpse, namely Paul's corpse, in this song, which references flat top, as in decapitated, and juju eyeball, like rotting eyeballs. And there's another barefoot reference with he wear no shoe shine. He also references a walrus yet again, and there's the line, one and one and one is three. Uh, three beetles left, of course. Most importantly is the chorus, come together right now over me. Me being a body in a grave with the sad remaining beetles looking down. Hey, that's kind of like the Sgt. Pepper's cover. <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah, I, I think the... The interpretation of that song that makes sense is that each of those verses is about one of the band members, right? I don't know. <laughs> or is it about Paul being a corpse? Who knows? I don't think so. Uh, the, the, Ringo t- keeps the time of the band, so one and one and one is three. Gotta be good looking because he's so hard to see. He's behind that drum kit, baby. Yeah, but wouldn't he be keeping four time? Not always. The eight-song medley that makes up side two of the LP gives plenty of clues by itself. We have the song Sun King here, and the Sun King was Louis XIV. In the story of The Man in the Iron Mask by Alexandre Dumas, Louis XIV's twin brother replaces the Sun King, hiding his real identity behind an iron mask. Is this a reference to Fall? It's one at least three <laughs> times removed, if so. It's bad enough. It's, it's one of the more interesting ones, I think. The final medley can also be seen as the experience of death. Golden Slumbers, a.k.a. the Big Sleep, death itself, carry that weight. The pallbearers, or Paul bearers. Thank you. We're all pallbearers. <laughs> carrying the coffin. And the end, which is the funeral and ascension to another plane. And Her Majesty? She's a very nice girl. <laughs> Doesn't have a lot to say. <laughs> um, I assume that's something like, oh, we, you know, paid off Rita or whatever if she's still alive. You know, she doesn't have much to say because we paid her off. Who knows, man? You can find clues in everything. You, well, that's kind of my point. <laughs> yeah. The last Beatles album to come out, again, not the last recorded, but the last released was Let It Be in 1970. It doesn't have many clues, but there are a couple which are doubly important because it was the only album to come out post-Paul is Dead Hysteria, which wouldn't really apply to the music, but applies more to the design. Marketing. So we have the cover where Ringo, John, and George are pictured looking to the left, their right, all with white backgrounds, while Paul is the only one looking straight forward with a blood red background, symbolizing his difference from the other three, and also like blood and stuff the album cover is uh, appropriately backgrounded in funeral black but as far as i could tell there weren't really many interesting clues thought to be hidden in these songs themselves now the clues didn't end when the beatles broke up here are a few of my oft-cited favorites (laughs) in his song how do you sleep which is a scathing indictment of his old bandmate paul lennon sings those freaks was right when they said you was dead. Yeah, he means figuratively. Well, maybe he means literally, Sean. Maybe. In Ringo's song, Back Off Boogaloo, he sang, Wake up, meathead, don't forget that you were dead. Is the meathead here fall? 
Wait, so anyone, anyone who says anything with the word dead in it is a backward Paul is dead reference. Maybe, Sean. McCartney's first solo album, McCartney, bore a cover image of a bowl of cherries scattered about, leaving the bowl empty, save some cherry juice, which kind of resembles blood. Also, if the saying goes that life is a bowl of cherries, well, there's no life here. The bowl is empty. In his 1987 music video for When We Was Fab, George Harrison shows a person clad in a black walrus costume playing a left-handed bass, an obvious reference to Paul McCartney and the conspiracy. And then that person gets into a white Aston Martin (laughs) and dies. This also means that all of the other Beatles included clues about the conspiracy in their solo work. Does it? According to this, in 1993, Paul McCartney cheekily released the live album, Paul is Live, recreating the Abbey Road cover, this time with a sheepdog referencing his song, Martha, My Dear, which was about his sheepdog, and deliberately placed clues such as a license plate reading 51 is Fall's age at the time. Oh, Yes. <laughs> When discussing the Free as a Bird music video release on the radio show Beatle Archives for the anthology compilation, McCartney did say this, We used to make a game of putting little clues in our music back then. Was this finally an admission of guilt? No. I mean, yes, but not to (laughs) being dead. This isn't a clue necessarily, but a fun reference. In the bonus features for our favorite film, Shaun of the Dead, there's a spoof interview with Nick Frost and Simon Pegg in which Pegg mentions a number of famous people who have allegedly become zombies, including Paul McCartney. (laughs) Paul also discussed the conspiracy as recently as 2019. On paulmccartney.com, he was asked about the rumors and his response... Too many drugs. People may have taken too many drugs and started looking for answers in all the wrong places. Yeah, it was other people taking the drugs, Paul. It was (laughs) you guys filling your heads up with acid and writing songs that didn't make sense, and then people are Mm -hmm. left trying to put the pieces together. Yeah, I want to hold your hand. Straightforward. Goo 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 Not straightforward. I remember when I first found this theory as a teenager, uh, and though I didn't necessarily believe it, Listening to the back masks and investigating all the clues definitely gave me the creeps. In her essay, The Curious Death of Paul McCartney, sociologist Barbara Suzek interviewed uh, average 13, 14-year-olds about the conspiracy, noting that they mostly felt cold and creepy about the whole thing. Suzek went on to state that she felt the theory had ascended to legend, partly because it included many parts of classic mythology, like the interpretation of clues, the combination of death and the occult, and the premature death of a youth that, in the afterlife, ascends to the status of god. And what are the Beatles, if not rock gods? Now, folks, there are so many more clues, uh, some not as fun as these. Carrie, if I may, mm. by all the criteria you just listed, if you go back and look. Well, there are more. Isn't Hasn't QAnon then uh, risen to the level of legend? There's no premature death. No? Robert Kennedy? Or John, sorry, G- John JFK Kennedy Jr.? Jr. Um, I'm pretty sure some of those guys said RFK was coming back, too. Well, let's, let's analyze that later. <laughs> These were the most frequently cited clues, and I was trying hard not to make this a two-parter. But over on Patreon and YouTube this week, we'll be uploading a special interview with Charles Rosenay, who you may remember from our Paracon special. 
Rosene is a Beatles expert who I was absolutely chuffed to find out, <laughs> was even cited in the acknowledgments of my main source for this episode, the book The Walrus Was Paul. This is something Carrie didn't know until she was <laughs> reading the acknowledgments at the end. I mean, he's he's uh, he organizes like Beatles conventions and everything. So he's very in Beatles circles, but it was still funny to be like, oh, I know him. So we'll definitely um, talk to him about this whole thing. And we're thinking about talking to your dad again, too, right? Yeah, I'm getting there. <laughs> so check in this weekend for that. And obviously join Patreon if you haven't already. And keep keeping your eyes out, I guess. Um, since this is one of my favorite conspiracies of all time, we're definitely having some more supplemental material. We'll be interviewing my dad, who you'll remember from the Gettysburg Ghosts episode, and he's another Beatles expert with a first-hand account of being a Beatles fan during the Paul is Dead hysteria. And I'm going to be making Sean watch the documentary, or is it mockumentary, Paul McCartney Really is Dead, The Last Testament of George Harrison. So check out our Patreon for his reaction to all that craziness. We're watching what? Yeah, you are. <laughs> okay. There were a ton of sources for today's episode along with the book, but if you're looking for more on this topic from the perspective of very earnest believers, check out the documentaries The Winged Beetle and Cranberry Sauce on YouTube. Cran Cranberry Sauce. Cranberry Sauce. We were saying that at Thanksgiving and everyone was like, what are you talking about? Um, and you could go to the sites turnmeondeadman.com and paulmccartneyisdead.tumblr.com. The latter, particularly for facial comparisons that I mentioned between Paul and the so-called fall that I couldn't really get into as much in this non-visual format. Unfortunately, the exhaustingly comprehensive Paul is Dead site that I first stumbled upon back in high school doesn't seem to exist anymore, but at least I'm here to share all this nonsense with you. Speaking of exhaustingly or, or exhaustively comprehensive... Um, <laughs> Also, we when we talk to your dad about this, we'll definitely also talk to him about the get back thing because mm -hmm. I'm just uh, dying to talk just about it. Talk about it. It's not um, scary, but it's uh, interesting. Yeah. So, Sean, do you think the Paul is dead theory is real? No. I think you went into this biased, though. I don't think it's real, but I think you went in biased. Biased by what? His continuing career of making music up until when was his last like, album? Like maybe last that's year? fall. Maybe Fall's making music. No. Why? Because he's still good at it. <laughs> Maybe Fall was good at music. He's Paul McCartney? He's Fall McCartney. No. Nobody replaced... <laughs> the, the reason is there's just no... <laughs> there's nothing to hang your hat on here that's even a little bit compelling. Um, what about, I buried Paul? Yeah. I think they might have on purpose put some of that stuff in there. But they would have had to do that ahead of time and then wait for people to catch on. Well, but that might not say I buried Paul because it's all bad. Like anything with backmasking is nonsense, right? It just sounds like something. So he could have been saying, I'm very small. And John Lennon, again, we watched eight hours of Get Back where he's just saying nonsense into the microphone between takes. He's singing old soul tunes. He's just uh, saying things from advertising slogans. He kept saying, I had a dream because he... Uh, had seen Martin Luther King on TV. I had a dream last night. He kept kept doing it. So I think he's just, I'm very small. <laughs> uh, and stuff like that. And then with the album covers, uh, in this period, they were pretty obviously, A, 
full of acid and <laughs> B, uh, on purpose trolling fans by putting just a ton of stuff to analyze uh, that probably didn't have any meaning. Well, I'm going to leave this up to our listeners to decide for themselves. I highly encourage you to grab some vinyls. Don't play them backwards because that ruins vinyl. But you can find all of these backwards uh, pieces of songs or full songs on YouTube. And let us know if you find any more clues. And watch the eight hours of Get Back on Disney Plus and see if you can see those plastic surgery scars. I also know where this theory came from. In 1968, the Beatles stopped touring, right? I think it was earlier than that. It was, um, I think it was August 66, because it had to be before Paul died, allegedly. Okay. So the biggest band in the world abruptly retires from live performance. They start making their music from behind closed doors. People don't really see them in public together anymore. But why Paul? Why not John? Why not George? Because there had been a news report that people saw about him being in an accident once. If the rumors were that uh, one of them was a murderer, (laughs) then it would be about John because everybody would remember that he beat his wife that time. Oh, boy. Well, still, it's interesting. It's interesting. It's a good reason to just listen to all these songs again and look at all these album covers when albums used to be art, a full piece of art, and just um, enjoying them for what they are and maybe what they could be. Enjoying them for what they are, I endorse completely. <laughs> I'll part today with some of the most meaningful Beatles lyrics, words that I live by and that bring great comfort to me. And in the end, the love you take is equal to the love you make. And if I can quote a Beatles lyric, look at all the little piggies in their starched white shirts. Not as good. No news this week because this episode is hella long and we have a bunch of supplemental material coming out to support it on YouTube and especially Patreon. Please, please join us on patreon.com slash ain't it scary to stay updated on all the new and exclusive content we have coming out, including launches of mini shows like interviews, movies macabre, and more. Also, be sure to check out our friends over at the New York Mystery Machine podcast next week, as they'll be releasing a special episode on the conspiracies surrounding the death of John Lennon. We'll also be partnering with them on a special two-parter in January, so be sure to subscribe and catch up. That's it for this episode of Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Ain't It Scary. And check out our website at ain'titscary.com. You can support the show by supporting our sponsors and becoming a patron at www.patreon.com slash ain'titscary. And please subscribe to the show and throw us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We'll be forever grateful. Don't forget to screenshot your five-star reviews and share with us on social media for your chance to win a special gift straight from us. Yep, and as you just heard, lots of new content coming, coming very soon under several different brands on that (laughs) uh, Patreon of ours. Special thanks to the folks already joining us over there, especially Nate Curtis, Sean O'Donnell, Jared Chamberlain, Maria Ferrante, Robin McCabe, Comfy Mike, Alex Nakutis, Ryan Regan, and Christy Atchison. Thank you, guys. We love you. See you next Thursday. Show created by Sean and Carrie McCabe. Music by Kyle Ryan. You can find Kyle at his YouTube channel, Music is a Verb. 
This has been a production of Longboy Media.